You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Well, it is 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you know what that means? That means it's time for Mission Log Live. Good evening, everyone. I'm Norman Lau. And with us again this evening for this fantastic show, we have Holly Amos. Holly, good to see Hi. you again. Hi, Welcome good back. to see you too. Thank you. Yeah, what's new? Here. What are you wearing? <laughs> I might take this off. I'm really hot. Um, I'm wearing my Niners jersey. Show the fans. Show, well, it's Bashir. Yeah. Can you see it? So, yeah. fun story. When um, when I was in high school, I was a varsity basketball player. And my favorite athlete was actually um, a baseball player on the Angels, which I was born in Anaheim. So, that worked out. Um, he was very short-statured. Won, won the World Series with him. His name is David Eckstein. You guys might know his wife. Uh, she created her universe, Ashley Eckstein. Anyways. Oh, yeah. I loved him. Yeah. I loved him because he was short-statured, and he happened to be number 22, so I adopted that number. Bashir is my favorite character on Deep Space Nine, and this episode is my favorite episode. And I had never paid attention to his number until a few years ago, and I was like, he's number 22. And so I had to have the jersey made, so here we are. That's awesome. It's it's really <laughs> nice looking. And you know what? Thank you for the, the explanation if you're getting too warm in that because it looks like a warm jersey. You, you it's, can take it off. I think it's... I mean, it's a hardcore jersey that I altered. So, like, like that heavy nylon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I have Ultimate Computer underneath and so on. There you go. Cosplay and a show, folks, tonight <laughs> on Mission Log Live. So, before we get into it, make sure that uh, you uh, get in your calls by either clicking on the Zoom meeting leak or using the one tap from your smartphone or by calling 699. That's uh, 900 6833. That's yeah. six. Sorry, 669. I always get that wrong. Always get that wrong. Uh, 669. 900-6833, enter the meeting code and the password. Earl is standing by to take your call. And before we even get to more news and information, we have a very special guest on the show tonight. He is waiting in the green room. We have Trent Venegas from the Quoting uh, Gene Roddenberry podcast. So we will have him on just in a little bit. But a couple of house cleaning notes that I want to get to. Some great news, some mediocre news, and some less than mediocre news. <laughs> so... Let's get to the great news first. Great news is that this week on Mission Log, we will be dropping our new podcast. We will be dropping Shadows and Symbols. That is episode two, season seven of Deep Space Nine, which is fantastic. And a lot of there's a lot of positivity for us in that show because there's a lot of stuff that we liked in that show. But I'm not going to spoil it any more than that because I know the fans out there like John and I being a little bit more pro on Deep Space Nine as opposed to not pro on Deep Space Nine. It's okay. <laughs> Not pro? Well, you know, we the, every single series, every single episode, you're not going to have winners. You're going to have winners and not winners, right? Yeah, yeah, Shadows and Symbols is pretty middle of the road, I feel like. It's a, I think the whole thing is like a quadrilogy. You know, you have, uh, you have uh, Tears the Prophets, then you have Images in the Sand, or Image in the Sand, then you have mm-hmm. Shadows and Symbols, and then you have uh, After Image. That's kind of like the, the, the death and rebirth of Dax. But you're almost to baseball. Right. That's right. That's right. We're actually going to be recording that this week. So you'll, the, the fans will hear that in a couple of weeks. Speaking of fans, want to say hi to all the listeners that have joined us here on Facebook. Hello, Mark. Hello, one of the Pauls. Dominic. Dominic, check this out, dude. I wore this for you. You see that? 
I hope you did because I'm not <laughs> doing that again. That's way too much exercise for me. Uh, Mark, how are you doing? Uh, another Paul. Is this two Pauls or is it the same Paul? It's hard to tell, but we have a, I don't know if you know this uh, listeners out there, but we have at least three Pauls join the show. And when that happens, buy a lottery ticket because you're in luck. Uh, yes, there's Paul Harvath and Carlos. How are you doing? David Takechi, good to see you. Uh, see Phil, Bob Amos, Bob, you got to get in faster because you were second this time, not first. So I am expecting you to be pole position every single time you log in when Holly's on. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks. Slow. Thanks everybody for joining us. <laughs> um, also coming up this week, uh, we have a little bit of, of news um, regarding 55 year mission Las Vegas. Now, uh, as of this week, I had to make a difficult decision to cancel my plans uh, as a co-host of Mission Law, going to the 55-year mission celebration because there has been an increase uh, of activity around the tune of 50% cases reported, new cases reported in the state of Florida, which is where I live right now. And uh, to be completely transparent, because you know that's how I am with all of the listeners out there, um, I uh, am one of two people that take care of uh, my fifty, uh, my my ninety-year-old mother-in-law. My, my wife Carol and I, we take care of her. And uh, traveling right now between Florida to Las Vegas and back, and all of the uh, instances in between, puts me way too heavy of a risk factor uh, for somebody in our household who is ninety years old. So that was a very um, difficult decision, but it was a family-based decision. We weighed the pros and cons of traveling right now. And as of right now, it's, it just really was not the most responsible choice that I could make. And I have to respect the other people that live um, you know, at home with both uh, Carol, her mom, and, and um, just it's, it's a heartbreaking choice you know, because I wanted to see everybody. But, but there will be some form of virtual programming with Mission Log as uh, the convention is happening, whether it is going to be here on Facebook or on their outlets of social media or especially on our Discord for our Patreon listeners. We want to make sure that we have access for everybody. And we're, uh, John and I are in the process of figuring out what that plan is going to be. So stay tuned. There will be something for those of you, just like myself, just like Holly, who will not be attending uh, the convention this year. But we will be in some way, shape, or form connecting with all of you who also aren't going to the convention this year because you all need a convention of something because you deserve it. It's important, and community is what we're all about here at Mission Log. So what else is happening? You are are planning on going to Chicago, though. Most definitely. Most definitely. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anyone can see this. But I'm going to put this on camera. Uh, we are not sponsored, but I do want to show this here is kind of like my, this is my, my eeny weeny teeny uh, yellow polka dot bikini that, you know, traditionally the, that's kind of like the summertime goal, you know, for, or I should say swimsuit for me to get out there <laughs> and, and get into shape. My goal is to get into Con Noonien Sing Shape a la Space Seed for Chicago next year. A la Space Seed, so not even like open chest Wrath of Khan. No, a la Space Seed, because it's it's gold lame jacket time. It's Ah, gold lame. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if we have any callers lining up, let's see what we're going on here. What's going on here? We do have Um, a caller. All right. So, but before we get to our caller, I would like to introduce 
our very special guest for this evening. He is one of the co-hosts for Quoting Gene Roddenberry. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Mr. Trent Venegas. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you here. So what's new? What's new? What's going on in the world of, in the, in the world of say, Quoting Gene Roddenberry? The, the stage is yours. We're going to have callers line up, but I would like uh, you to have the chance to acclimate yourself with everyone here who has listened to the podcast and who are still new to discovering it. Yeah, so Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a 100-day podcast that is celebrating um, all of the amazing quotes that uh, Gene Roddenberry left us with. And, um, you know, people think it's, it's a Star Trek podcast. And it, and it is because it focuses on, on Gene and, and his, his words and his work. But we really talk about things that go beyond just Star Trek itself. Um, a lot of the topics are, you know, we never even mention Star Trek sometimes because, uh, you know, Gene was such a champion of, uh, diversity and, and, and his love of humanity and, and those things while are hallmarks of what the Star Trek stories are, they, you know, those resonate with people outside of, of Star Trek fandom. So that's one of the, the really fun things about, uh, quoting Gene Roddenberry is, you can enjoy it and listen to it and, and not really have a, a, a lot uh, of uh, knowledge about Star Trek and still get something from it. Well, at least that's what we hope. Now, when you, you um, are a co-host on this show with Rachel True, yep. and how are you approached to do this show? Because this is not something that you take lightly as a fan of Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. this is the legacy of Gene Roddenberry. These are quotes that are directly attributed to his process and how he created a lot of the philosophy that goes behind not only just Star Trek, but who he is as a person in, in general. So how did this whole process start? Who approached you first and, and why? So I was reached out to first by Claire Kramer, our amazing producer and the wonderful actress. Mm-hmm. And she and I have have been friends for a few years now. Um, back once upon a time, I used to blog professionally for about 12 years. I wrote a pop culture blog called Pink is a New Blog. And um, among the many things that I talked about uh, on my site, which is very pop culture oriented, and I really focused on things that I was a fan of. So I was a huge fan of Star Trek. So if I was rewatching Voyager, for example, I would, you know, talk about that. So so Claire and I go go back and um, she became aware of the fact that I got into podcasting personally uh, in, in the last couple of years. And um, she must have liked what she heard because she decided to take a chance on having me come on as co-host. And I remember uh, they already had Rachel lined up and, you know, one, Claire Kramer is calling me. Two, she's saying, hey, would you like to co-host a, a, an official Star Trek Roddenberry podcast? And three, oh, and by the way, your co-host will be Rachel True, uh, the actress Rachel True. And I was like, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that's, that's how, how this wonderful experience started for me. So when you were given the opportunity to do this, what was your first reaction? Did you say, hmm, it's a little daunting or I can't wait? to jump at the opportunity to really express how I feel about the man who created Star Trek. Um, it was extremely daunting. And I was also very excited to jump at the chance to, to uh, get in there and, and be a part of this conversation. And, you know, as, as Claire and I talked about it, you know, I'm a big Star Trek fan, but 
definitely I know that there are fans out there who know a lot more than I do. Um, I'm, I'm kind of weak on the original series and I'm, I'm pretty strong on Next Generation and Voyager. So I felt comfortable with uh, being able to have a, you know, conversation about Star Trek, whatever the conversation may be. And then the more that we talked about what the focus of the show is about Gene and his words and his philosophies and these lessons that, um, that he really wanted to impart upon uh, the fans through the stories in Star Trek and through these um, interviews or uh, convention speeches that he gave in his lifetime. It it seemed like a really um, like an honor to be asked to just be at the table, to just be there listening would have been honor enough. And uh, to be asked to be one of the shepherds of the conversation uh, yes, was very daunting, but also so exciting. I couldn't, I couldn't pass it up. Trent, can you explain to those who who might not know why why this is happening this year? Yes. So, on August nineteenth, so just in a couple of weeks, uh, Gene Roddenberry would have been one hundred years old. So, uh, Roddenberry Entertainment is celebrating a hundred years of Gene Roddenberry. And the, the podcast, Quoting Gene Roddenberry, started in May, and uh, it releases an episode every single day for the 100 days leading up to August 19th, which uh, would have been Gene's 100th birthday. Which I think is lovely. Yeah, it's really, it's really a nice way to honor the man. I mean, he's such a legend and larger than life. But hearing, hearing um, our guests, and we have fabulous guests reading, reading a quote a day, hearing Gene's words, it really is um, a lovely way to honor him because it's, it's one thing to be a fan. Like It's one thing to look at his work and, and the world that he created and all these characters that are so beloved 55 years later, and it's easy to see why uh, people can be fans of his. But when you hear his words and you get a sense of who he was as a person, as just, you know, a fan himself, as a lover of science, as a lover of humanity. Um, it, it, it's just, if, to me, it's, it's one of the nicest ways you can honor someone is by remembering uh, the words that they spoke and the lessons they left us. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a really special way to honor his, his legacy, I think. Now, when you were um, brought on board with, with Rachel, have you or, or Rachel worked together before, or is this something that you did new together? Did you have an instant chemistry when you started working together? So we had not met previously. Um, as I mentioned, as a pop culture blogger, I've been a huge fan of hers for many, many years. Um, I always say my four favorite movies, and they all came out in 95 and 96, are Clueless, Empire Records, Hackers, and The Craft. And Rachel is a is one of the leads in the craft. So she's been one of my beloved actresses, actors of 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 my lifetime. Uh, and those movies, if you if you like those movies and you get a sense of those movies, you get a pretty good sense of who I am as a person. So so just again, uh, having her on board as as the co-host was something I could not turn down. And um, she is a force to be reckoned with. And I learned something new every time that I that I we interact together. She is funny and lovely and so smart. She's so well read. Um, and I'm very, very happy, I think, to say that uh, we hit it off pretty much from the start. And uh, I think we've gotten to, you know, it, it's it, it we're at we're we've recorded up to like our 80th episode. So we still have a few more to go before we're we're finished. 
Um, but I think we, we hit our stride uh, pretty early and we've been going strong. Hopefully in the, the, the listeners agree. Well, one of the things that the listeners may or may not know, uh, especially as you go through some of the earlier episodes of quoting Gene Roddenberry, is that you had you and Rachel had on both John Champion and I. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to uh, bring in the the sharpest dressed man in the virtual room right now. So <laughs> everyone in Mission Log Live, say hello to Mr. John Champion himself. Welcome, John. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so sorry to crash your show, Norm and Holly. Thank you for letting me drop in. Um, listen, I, this is just a, an important question that's been uh, hanging over me. And Trent, I'm so glad that you're doing the show tonight. Look, Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek, blah, 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 Roddenberry. We, we know, we know. All right, the damn Brady house. Okay? <laughs> yes. A very Brady renovation. You are a producer on this show. How... Because the the space and the rooms and how how did that come together? The so what John is referencing is uh, a show called A Very Brady Renovation that I worked on as a producer for HGTV. And the very long story short is um, the house had never been on the market the entire. So it, it, it was sold to the to the uh, previous owner in 1973. And it has always been in that family's possession. And they passed away in, was it 2017? I want to say wow. in June, a bidding war erupted. Everyone wanted the house. Uh, Discovery and HGTV came in at the last minute. Uh, they outbid everyone, bought the house, and then they were like, okay, now what? <laughs> and uh, they decided because, so if you're, if you're not aware, the Brady house that you see on the Brady Bunch, the exteriors, that is the real house that is here in Southern California in the greater Los Angeles area. And if you Google it, you can find out where it is. Um, so the exteriors were all filmed uh, at the real house, but the interiors were filmed at Paramount. Uh, on a big soundstage. So all the rooms, um, the backyard, all of that was filmed on a soundstage. And the idea was, can we turn the actual Brady house, the exterior, to to make it resemble in any way the actual house, the, the, the fictional house that we saw on the show? And through, I can only describe it as uh, television magic. We were able to do so. The house had enough land in the backyard for us to build out. We, we lowered the, the uh, living room to make, to be able to fit a second floor because the house was, oh. was not, was not even a second floor, a two-story home. Oh, and huh. wow. uh, with, I would say within honestly, 89 to 90% accuracy, we were able to make the Brady house a reality in, in the, in a real actual house. The, uh, the orange and avocado li- uh, kitchen. Yeah. Uh, we found the we found the couch pattern in in in, in uh, a <sighs> dead stock somewhere. Um, and then we also reached out to fans all across the country. And if anyone had an artifact or uh, a piece of furniture that was uh, from the same company from the actual uh, furniture that was in uh, used on the show. We either asked them to donate or in certain cases we bought and we ha- we, we've managed to find a lot of really uh, cool and actual artifacts from the Brady Bunch. The, ho- the horse, we found the horse in a Paramount uh, storage bin. Wow. It was 
broken. The legs uh, were broken. And uh, we 3D mapped it and uh, we, we made it whole again. It was, it was a really, really fun, fun project. One of the greatest things I did. And uh, we got to work with all six of the Brady kids. And uh, I'm very proud to say that I became really good friends with uh, Maureen McCormick and uh, Eve Plum. And uh, Eve Plum, who played Jan Brady, is a huge fan of my cats on Instagram. So that's one of my Wow. <laughs> okay. And we're talking real Jan, not fake Jan, when they moved over to the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, produced by Sid and Marty Croft. Correct. Although fake Jan, fabulous singer. She is great. Very talented. But... You have and the real deal. We had the real deal. And honestly, yeah. we tried to figure out a way to incorporate um, some of the actors like that. So the fake Jan actress or cousin Oliver, like we really tried to to bring as much of the uh, the heart and spirit of what the Brady Bunch was into our our show. And because we couldn't really do like a 26 episode series, not not everything made it. But uh, we definitely tried. We gave it our best. And we hope that fans fans liked it. I have an important um question for you trent so these are all important norman no this is important for me so uh, in in recreating something of of this magnitude mm-hmm. did anyone have the did anyone have the desire to play ball in the house i can confirm that uh people did play ball in the house okay and it oh. and it might have been um during a uh late night sleepover perhaps that happened when uh, the house was finally finished and uh, the architect and the producers kind of wanted to christen the home before we had to hand it off to HGTV. And uh, yeah, some, we had some fun. We had a lot of uh, fun and ball was played in the house, even though mom always says, don't play ball ball in the house. house." Right now. Did after everything was finished, did somebody come along and buy it? Like they would maintain it as the Brady home because it's a huge amount of work that you put so, into it. So through the entire uh, duration of our filming, because as I alluded to in the beginning, HGTV wasn't really sure. They bought the house and then they were like, okay, what do we do with this? And then we kind of figured it out. And along the way, the show took form. Um, it did really well on social media because we had a... Uh, I think it was on Facebook, but it might have been in, across all the social platforms called Building Brady, where when we had our big camera days where the Brady kids, now Brady adults, uh, were filming with us, we, we put things online and it, it tracked so well that HGTV thought, oh, we need more. And then we did uh, a very Brady Christmas renovation special where we filmed another episode where we decorated oh, wow. the Brady house in in, in in Christmas ornaments with a real tree and we brought snow to Southern California and all of that. Um, so the plan that I was aware of at the time was they were going to give it away. They were going to do a contest and they were going to give it away. Oh, then they did some contests where fans could spend the night or spend the weekend. Um, so it's been, it's been some time now since I've been out of the loop. So I'm not entirely sure, but I do believe that HGTV and discovery still own it. And I know that they filmed some things in there since. So some oh, the, food- s- the sleepover thing, they do that with the uh, Christmas story house too. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 I, I know that some food network shows filmed in the Brady kitchen. I think the pioneer woman did an episode of <laughs> in there and uh, so, you know, it's, it's such, it's, I cannot explain to you what it is like to open that front door and you're in the Brady house and it's real brick and mortar and right. it's a real couch and the carpet 
we found dead stock carpet that was the exact match of the carpet it was it was truly truly a magical uh serendipitous experience that um i mean honestly there's nothing that i would change and not even to get it to a hundred percent because i feel like we got it so um so real and so usable real that it is perfect in in my opinion like cosplay re- with a house like finding yeah. <laughs> like perfect <laughs> ah, perfect fabric yay <laughs> there is there is a neighbor in the neighborhood and i believe the twitter account is i love the brady house and they post video and photos of the house almost every day like they walk their dog and wow. and here's the sun going down behind the Brady house. They they were a fan of the house before and now that it has been renovated and whenever there's filming there, they they fill in fans. So I mean, I remember I wasn't even living in California yet. So I'm from Michigan and I remember in one of my early visits in the early 2000s, um I had a friend who took me to, you know, Melrose Avenue and 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 all of the the places I wanted to visit and he drove me to the Brady house and I remember thinking it was up in the hills. Like I remember thinking it was up in the hills and then when this job came around and it, it landed in my lap another oh my god moment for me. I live 10 blocks. I live 10 blocks from the Brady oh, house wow. and I didn't even know it. So and also and again my commute to work was also a breeze. I could have, I could have walked, honestly. That's so cool. Now, a uh, very yeah. important question is, did you recreate Mike Brady's little office? Behind I, the living the architecture room? office. I we love have- that. It's yeah. so cool. And other major important question, uh, Mike Brady, straight hair or perm? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did recreate his office, um, okay. his, his drafting desk and the furniture, the, the 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 pass through shuttered windows that go from his office to the living mm-hmm. room the double sided fireplace which opens on on in his office and in his living room very very much like the show and we focused on the first few seasons of the Brady Bunch to 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 match the furniture and the layouts because as you know the show was on for many years and styles changed the girls room changed very drastically in the last nice. season it became yellow and brown as opposed to the pink and blue yeah so we 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 really stuck to the first two seasons of the series and that would have been Mike Brady with the straight combed hair yeah um, i mean 100 percent better yeah. although i do have i do have love for uh the brady fro that that she <laughs> rocked at the end yeah brady fro john, john do we have you for a few more minutes uh you can have me for yeah. a couple of minutes sure yeah. sure i i didn't want to hijack the entire show no, i no, just no. i had to get that out and, and i <laughs> no. want other people to call in and steer please take the show back from us and turn it <laughs> back into the star trek show that it is here on the roddenberry podcast network well tonight it's, it's the trent show but yeah. since you're here and yeah. you know what we do around this time you and oh. i can talk a little bit about patreon Absolutely at patreon.com slash mission log. Uh, thank you to everybody here or who's listening to us later on the audio only feed who has joined us at Patreon. We have uh, really in earnest been building a community there over the last year and it is great having people join us in discord uh, where there's just a constant conversation going on. And what I love about it, Norman, uh, you and I have spoken about this many times uh, to each other privately and publicly. It's so positive. It's mm-hmm. so embracing people there just talking about whichever shows they love the food and bev channel thank you to whoever created that just for me because we get a lot of use out of that 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, you were smart thinking about that. And for those who are top tier contributors within uh, Patreon, you have access to the Commodore Club where we can talk about show notes. And Norman, please correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard that uh, I've heard that the computer has been reading our discord and maybe taking some influence. The, the mission log computer has. The Mission Law computer has been getting a little saucy as of late. You know, I've yeah. actually listened to uh, the last episode that we published uh, was Image in the Sand, and there was something at the end that was, I thought it was a little, um, a, a little racy for yeah. Yeah. you know for the Mission Law computer. And I think that uh, I think that's fantastic. You know, it's it's growth. It's all about artificial intelligence growth. Yes. You know, for the Mission Law computer, we don't want to stifle her creativity. Right. You know? <laughs> so, but she, one of the things is yeah. she the ultimate computer. In our there. hearts, in our yeah. hearts, yes. Uh, because if we don't say that, she'll pull our life support. <laughs> so, uh, yes. yes, she is. One of the things, John, that we actually also have on our Discord channel is a, a separate channel that's called Star Trek Las Vegas Convention Plans or News. Um, perhaps that we should change it to like 55-year mission, but that's beside the point right now. The point is, is that uh, I'm going to be updating that with some of my current plans that I have just talked about at the uh, beginning of the show. But I also did allude to the uh, listeners that we are planning on, right now we're in the planning stage of, of making sure we have content for people that are unable to make this particular convention. Because on Patreon, we talk about how important our community is, and not just on Patreon and on Discord, but here too, you know, in the Facebook community. So um, maybe uh, you could, I don't know, uh, we could discuss that a little bit more, just the bits mm -hmm. and pieces that we have uh, planning um, in the planning stages right now. Agreed, agreed. So everybody, go over there, join patreon.com slash mission log, join our Discord. We would love to see you there. And uh, they, it's all about growing that community uh, around mission log, around Star Trek, around these conversations that we get to have. And uh, again, uh, oh, by the way, speaking of, you know, last week we wrapped up our contest for uh, the Discovery Season 3 giveaway. I've been getting all of, pick those names. We let Siri do it so she could pick random numbers, and that's what she did. So I've contacted the winners. Those those winners will be getting a uh, package from the marketing company with their very own shiny new untouched by human hands disco season three DVD set. So thank you to everybody who joined that. And uh, I give the show back to you. Please make it Star Trek again. Make it Gene Roddenberry again. <laughs> and uh, it's been a blast. Thank you for letting me crash. Um, anybody? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, a, a wild Paul appears. It looks Ooh, like Paul he out of this. Standing wow. by. A Paul just just jumps in. Uh, thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll see you on Discord. We'll see you on Patreon. We'll see you next week uh, when I'm doing a thing here for real. Norman, you can crash if you want to. It's your show, too. You can yeah, I'll crash. That. I'll do it uh, just for the ad. <laughs> and, and Trent, I will see you in Vegas in a couple of weeks. I can't yes, wait for sir. that. We're going to have a blast. So uh, cheers, everybody. Take care. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for, for joining us, and, and thanks for always obviously bringing in your, your sense of style to the show and because a rising tide lifts all boats in the fashion world, right? I do what I can. Thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, John. And now we have on deck, you know, if you actually say the name uh, enough times, we can summon one of the Pauls of the, of the Paul, <laughs> the Paul Nucopia that we have here on Mission Log Live. So Paul, Paul also from Michigan. Michigan. I believe. Yeah. So where, yeah. are, where, where are you around in Michigan? Or if you don't want to say, where oh, are no, you no. near? Um, first of all, am I, can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Great. Trent, yeah, we're in north of Detroit in a little town called Lake Orion. Grew up in yes. Flint, Michigan, where all the water was, you know, uh, lead tainted for a long time. Yeah. It hasn't showed up 
too much, but um, it's, you know, there's a, uh, um, the, the Michigan, where are you from originally in Michigan? So I grew up uh, in, in Dearborn and uh-huh. then um, my last, uh, I lived in St. Clair Shores at, at the end of my Michigan career before I moved to California because I taught in Gross Point. In grad school, I taught uh, ninth grade uh, U.S. history and American government. So, yeah. Excellent. So um, I want to swing this right back to the quotes. Can, can you enlighten us as to how these quotes were picked? I mean, there, there's, there's obviously more than 100 quotes, right? Yeah. Um, and can you give us that process and, and then how the actors were picked, too, to sort of match them up? That would be great for everybody. So the producers um, really scoured as many of, of Gene's writings as they could to try and pick out, you know, pick out 100 quotes that gave a really good sense of, of the lessons and the messages that he really wanted to convey to not just Star Trek fans, but to anyone. And, uh, and again, when the quotes were paired up with the, uh, the guests who read them, the goal was to obviously include, you know, Star Trek alums, but also fans uh, like celebrity fans who are not don't have Star Trek connections or didn't didn't appear on any of the Star Trek shows, but we're still huge fans like Gloria Gaynor, a huge Star Trek fan, and she wanted to be a part of it. So uh, the goal was to make it as uh, accessible to as many people as possible, because, again, uh, you know, we are discussing Gene Roddenberry's quotes and many of them, if not all of them, could be tied to Star Trek, but they're not necessarily. And the goal was to try and, and bridge that gap where uh, anyone li- who wants to, you know, listen to any of our podcast episodes can enjoy them without having to have um, uh, little to no experience or um, knowledge about Star Trek to enjoy them. There's actually a really good question here that's in the comments um, mm-hmm. from uh, Lisa, Lisa uh, Reckenmeyer. She said, was Rod Roddenberry on the team who selected the quotes? I have to believe he was. I believe he was. I believe he yeah. was. He is one of our executive producers. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, so he is involved in the podcast and people should, should continue to listen to the Very podcast. luckily for Roddenberry, they also have an extensive archive that mm-hmm. I helped, that I've helped maintain that has a lot of Gene's writings in it. So that's where a lot of the quotes were likely pulled from. Holly, did he keep like diaries or things like that? Or did he write things on like cards? I mean, how, how was his note-taking process? I mean, a lot of the stuff that they have is actually just like notations that he's made on um, like scripts that he was writing. Um, mm. There is a lot of, there is a lot of handwritten stuff in the archive and he didn't always have the greatest handwriting. <laughs> I've come across stuff and I'm like, what? Um, I mean, largely it's, it's, I, I found like a couple, like there's like a cocktail napkin. I remember finding somewhere and it wow. had his scribbles on it. Um, yeah. So they're Roddenberry's doing a really good job of maintaining um, Gene's legacy just by keeping all of that and having it organized, which is what partially what I was doing uh, before the pandemic hit. I mean, I'm um, for, for you, Paul, just for a little bit of insider baseball, like the, the way that it was structured when John and I were both on it, especially from my experience when I was on it, uh, what happened was that we had a team of people working uh, on the live recording. Um, we had, obviously we had Trent and Rachel, you know, doing the interview part. Uh, they would have the pre-recorded segment read 
And it's intimidating, actually, sometimes. One of my segments was uh, read by, the, the quote was read by Jonathan Frakes, and then mm-hmm. I would respond to that quote afterwards in the podcast, and that would all get edited together. And it's like, I even said so, I think, on the podcast. Like, I don't know ever in my career will I ever have to follow up Jonathan Frakes again, because <laughs> it's just... You know, that's that's number one. I mean, he's the guy, right? He's the man, right? And uh, it's a lot. It was just um, interesting getting into kind of like the philosophical mindset of what it maybe meant to Gene then, what it means now, and how it how it actually takes form in perpetuity uh, during the different permutations of Star Trek. If you take these quotes as a basis of what he uh, what what his intentions were for moving forward into the future if he were to do any other series or if he were to tackle other science fiction like he did for some of his other lesser known works like say uh planet earth or um anything that had to do with john saxon you know <laughs> you know earth 2 or even andromeda which was uh or uh, um earth um final conflict which yeah. were works of his but you know they were done by obviously different producers. You know um, Robert Hewitt Wolf did uh, Andromeda, which is more Star Trek than I think people give it credit for. You know, oh, at, yeah. at, at its core, at mm-hmm. its core value. Um, Earth, uh, in Final Conflict. I, I see a lot of his quotes that he that were flagged for this particular podcast, very much in terms of how like the the uh, the um, I think they're called the Phalons. Um, Forgive me, folks, if I said that wrong, but the aliens that came to Earth and how they met with humanity and how they tried to create this harmonious relationship, if that ever happened, right? Uh, Quester tapes. Thank you, Dominic. That also happened. So uh, there's a lot more than just a Star Trek philosophy that's embedded Mm -hmm. in these quotes. Mm -hmm. It's more of a humanistic philosophy that's embedded in these quotes. And then Star Trek was just his most popular vehicle of being able to uh, philosophize and, um, and, and evangelize his thoughts to the public. So I got a question on, um, and Holly, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, the whole, as I, the longer I live, this whole idic thing, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, right? What, how f- just future looking was that idea? And I just wonder, was it really genes or was it a combination of people? Does anybody really know that, where that came from? Oof. That's sort of a loaded question because like, like the, the Idic uh, logo, like the circle with the triangle and stuff mm-hmm. like that came, actually came from, if I'm not mistaken, that came from the um, company that largely Majel had put together to sell products. And uh, so they had to sort of attach the ideal that are, kind of already existed with it. And that's when it sort of um, blew up. But it was largely, yeah, that was largely Gene. If, if I have gone through <laughs> sort of the way that that came about. If I've gone through it correctly, and I, again, I've seen stuff that's in the Roddenberry archive, and I was, I worked at the Star Trek archive for five years. That was largely Gene. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, with, with the edict, though, Paul, are you saying that, um, was it a philosophy that was somehow uh, discovered throughout the course of all of these philosophical writings that somehow made it into Star Trek and then got uh, in some way kind of iconicized through a product? Is that what we're getting at? I'm just trying to, you know, the 60s were not a lot of fun time. I mean, we had the race riots. We had all sorts of consternation about that kind of thing. And I'm just Mm -hmm. now realizing how forward thinking and how much guts it took to try and Mm -hmm. put that on television. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, you know, as we watch... 
and and they get this from watching the Olympics. If you look at the Olympics, uh, countries tend to be mono, um, not monocolored. Like it, you you have an idea of what you'd expect an Asian country to look like, a mm-hmm. Eastern European country, an African country. But when you see Americans, there you have no idea what you're going to see, right? And mm-hmm. I wonder. They just made me think of Idic to um, to what Gene was thinking of back then about wow, you know, it's just he it's just looking forward to what America is going to become even more so than it was because in the sixties it wasn't necessarily going to be that way, you know. Um, so, is there a lot of quotes associated with that? I've I've listened to this. Um, I don't know. I catch them and I find them on Facebook and I put them on my feed once in a while. They're just so fabulous. Um, but I haven't caught all of them, so I need to go back and listen to all of them. So, Trent, uh, can you highlight any that are associated with that? Yeah, I mean, I will say um, the two words that probably come up the most are uh, humanity and diversity. Yeah. And uh, many of the quotes are similar, um, uh, and, and, and we've kept them sp- spread apart in the 100-episode uh, run because we can't always talk about absolutely everything in the, the, you know, 10 to 15 minutes that our episodes are. So if, if a quote is reminiscent of an earlier one, we're able to discuss it a little further, flesh it out a little more. Um, so that's exciting. Um, one of the quotes uh, that I pulled up uh, that was read by Tawny Newsom from Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, the quote is, They said if you had a multiracial crew, you wouldn't get in. Well, I said, we can't do the show then because we'll never get to the 23rd century if we're not living together. And and so this is kind of like alluding to the fact that the network or the naysayers were like, you can't put a multiracial crew on television in the 1960s. This is never going to happen. And and his whole philosophy was, we're going to do it because if we don't do it, we're never going to get to this future that we hope to see one day. And, you know, early on, um, and I've learned a lot through uh, doing this, this podcast, and it is my understanding now that Gene really wanted a 50% male and female crew. So his original uh, goal for the 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 bridge crew was to be 50% women, 50% men and multicultural or multiracial. And, you know, the, the woman thing would not fly like that. He couldn't get through. And then he wanted to make number one, the the first officer, a woman, and that didn't work as well. Um, But with the multiracial crew, that was something that he was very insistent on. And, you know, it's interesting to think about what television must've been like, or what the pop culture feeling amongst, you know, Americans were at the time when on the news, you would see racial strife and, and race riots and police brutality and, and just in the news, like all these horrible um, injustices. And then once a week on, on one of the three networks that, that everyone was watching, you would see uh, this group of scientists in the future a Russian, someone of African descent, um, someone of Asian descent, men, women, all working in harmony in this 
future version of our planet where there's no hunger, where there's no monetary system, where Earth is essentially a utopia. And then they are venturing into space, meeting, you know, strange new civilizations and visiting strange new worlds. And that was just the starting point. The starting point of Star Trek is we have to reach this, uh, not even just acceptance, but this welcoming nature of of how diverse we are, because that is where our strengths are. And that is what is going to equip us for this, you know, wonderful vision of the future that we are all fans of that 55 years later, we're still talking about this, this idea and this story. And it is my opinion that humans will be talking about long after we're gone for hundreds of years. I I always say that things like comic books and science fiction, those are the modern myths. So while, you know, we are studying, you know, Greek myth and Norse myth and Roman myth in, in universities and in scholastic settings, I think that what we are experiencing now in real time with things like Star Trek will be things that we will be studied uh, in the future uh, when future historians look back. Because ideally, I do believe, honestly, that Gene believed that his future vision would come to pass. He knew he wouldn't live to see it. And I know I won't live to see it, but I, I do believe like, I believe he believed that uh, we humans are capable of more than we think we are. And it's easy to get really um, uh, saddened by the worst of us. But if you just look at the best of us, you can see where uh, that future can can truly exist. And 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 these are the things that Gene just spoke about at every chance that he got, whether it was through storytelling in his books or his TV series, or it was in these quotes or interview bites or interviews that he gave on late night TV um, to just spread this message of his love of humanity and his belief that. Uh, his future vision could come to pass. And he, I believe he believed it would happen. Well, I, you know, I, I'm going to be short. I got to get, I'm, um, I'm going to end here in a second, but I would love to just tell you that you are seeing it in the sixties and seventies. The, ch- the idea of a black president was zero. Mm-hmm. The idea of a mm-hmm. woman vice president mm-hmm. was zero. Mm-hmm. And to watch that actually happen in my lifetime and your lifetime and Holly's lifetime, you know, all these, these various ages, it, it was pretty amazing on that prediction. And I think it's why the show is so endearing to everybody. So on that note, thank you for your uh, excellent um, vision of what you guys are doing there. And I'm, I'm going to catch up to all of them now. Now I got to go back and listen to all the quotes. <laughs> Right. So thanks, guys. We'll see whoever's in Vegas in Vegas. And those who aren't, we'll be wishing you were. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank thanks you. for your question. Thank Great you. questions. And um, probably for our final caller tonight, we have uh, Big Mike Richards. Captain Mike, sorry. Captain Mike Richards. So, hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Hey, hey Norm. Great to see you, too. Um, really just want to jump in. Holly, hello. I was uh, on one prior episode back in uh, before the break that started in February. So I remember. Uh, Good to be back. And I just wanted to jump in real quick. I was going to talk a little bit and take it back retro. Um, I was going to invite John out to the uh, TWA Hotel, which if you want to walk into 1962 in New York (laughs) at JFK is a great way to do it and uh, express my desire to build a retro house, which would be Tony Nelson's house in Cocoa Beach, especially with that sort of attic office, I think is 
so cool. Yes. We, you know, we actually talked about that too. We were like, what can we do next? And Jeannie's bottle and, and Captain Major Nelson's home was all on the, on, on the short list of things that we as producers would have loved to have done. The golden girls house was another one. And, um, so far it hasn't happened yet, but uh, I do so, love that idea. So much fun. Um, on a more uh, Star Trek note, though, because John did ask that we bring it back on topic. <laughs> um, you mentioned you won't get to see it in your lifetime. Uh, Gene wouldn't get to see it in life in his lifetime. But Trent, what, what you're doing right now, what Holly does, what Norman does, um, what the rest of uh, uh, Roddenberry uh, Enterprises does do very well is it helps move the needle. And it helps move the ball downfield so that uh, to get from here to there, um, you need to change hearts and you change minds. You need to let see, people see the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a conversation over the weekend. Um, you know, the reason Norman introduced me as Captain Mike is, is I, uh, I fly for an airline uh, here, in, here in the U.S. and uh, develop some training materials for the airline. And I got into a conversation the other day about an individual complaining about airlines wanting to hire pilots uh, with diversity in mind and felt like if you hire for diversity, you'll be overstepping talent with the goal of diversity. And I said, that is a hundred percent false. Everything you just said is wrong. Uh, Like those ideas are mutually exclusive, right? Yeah. When (laughs) you go looking for talent in places you haven't been looking prior to that, you're going to find more talent and the whole game is going to go up. You're also going to get away from, um, people just getting their buddies hired, whether they're talented or not. So the, the talent will go up. There's more out there. If you look in places that uh, you hadn't prior looked previously, and I'm a big, big, big proponent of those differences, making us stronger. If we hire people that uh, all have the same background, they all kind of think alike, they all kind of make the same mistakes. Um, and that's, uh, that's bad for safety. Uh, getting a diverse group that thinks differently that, uh, um, you know, for lack of a better term, may make different mistakes, uh, will give people a chance to back them up. So um, I love the fact that uh, that uh, what I do, I think, is positively, positively influenced by conversations I hear on your shows and uh, my background and my fandom and, and things that I've learned uh, for the last 50 years being uh, being glued to the TV watching star trek mike if there was a a standout philosophy from gene that you have uh, found inspiration in over the course of the years watching star trek and it doesn't necessarily have to be idic because we all i think in some way shape or form are influenced by that but what is something that still rings true to you that uh, i know that you've mentioned that you've you know you have watched the original series so you have watched the original series up until probably every iteration of the series up until now is there there's is there a through line uh, that you feel that it's kind of been your guidepost, you know, for Norman, being a Star I, Trek fan. I have watched every episode of Star Trek. I've listened to every episode of Mission Log so far, Good including one episode of Lido Beach of uh, the Lido Deck, and uh, <laughs> that also includes Galaxy <laughs> Quest and uh, and the Orville. So uh, I would say that the, the over the overlying thing is it's better to be human. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the early Spock episodes, like like through probably the majority of the original series were episodes kind of like the Galileo seven where Spock did everything he did according to logic, but it was that intangible thing there that he did at the end, that, that act of emotion, that act of a hunch where he, where he burned up what little remaining fuel they had. That's what got them saved. 
That was completely illogical. It's better to be human than to be a computer. It's better to have that hunch. It's better to have that tie with, with, with the rest of humanity. And I mean, humanity generally, um, mm-hmm. like Kirk said, so famously in Star Trek six, you know what Spock, everybody's human. Um, and that's, that's what it is. It's better to be human than a machine. It's better to be human than anything else and keep that connection and use that intangible sort of humanness that we all have and don't turn your back on it. Well, I mean, he also echoes that a lot in Star Trek four, you know, when Spock says he climbs down a ladder and he says, to Kirk, you know, we must save Chekhov. And then Kirk says, is that the logical thing to do? And Spock goes, no, but it's the human thing to do. And, and that is the other thing. Well, you know, when you ask the question, there are two things, and we all love the quote, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. But what I love is the culmination in Star Trek three, where Spock said, why did you come back for me? And Kirk said, because of the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And that's something that is, that is not quite driven home as well and follow up, uh, follow up canon. That's firefighters rushing into a burning building to save somebody. That's saving Private Ryan. That is that is saving thirty some odd miners, uh, M I N E R S, uh, trapped underneath uh, on the surface of the Earth. When I said miners, not miners. <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> I was going to make that joke too, and I didn't want to interrupt. That was great. I didn't want anybody to uh, to miss. Miss, uh, misunderstand what I was saying. So those are the kind of things that, yes, I think the needs of the one do outweigh the needs of the many, and it's up to us. We're all in this together. We are all in this together. And if we don't band together to help one another out, uh, we're not going to have that human connectedness that kind of goes back to the first point that I had. Well, uh, Trent, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, I, um, I know that Gene had a quote that referenced, uh, um, referenced our planet as spaceship Earth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, I think that that's where some of this is being formed, that it's not just a planet. We are, you know, we are traveling through, well, not traveling through, but, you know, we are orbiting through our system, but we are all on this same ship. We all serve mm-hmm. the same goal. If we don't work together, the machinery fails and then we don't succeed. We don't achieve the heights that were meant for us. Gene had a lot of really good, like sort of comparison quotes. Like one mm -hmm. of my favorite quotes from him is about um, a child creature, basically like our, we are in our infancy as a species. Mm -hmm. And he, he says, I believe in humanity. We're an incredible species. We're still just child creature, just being nasty to each other. And I think that that's it. That comparison creates an interesting perspective, the same way his quote about our planet being our spaceship. Yeah, absolutely. He he referenced. He also alluded to Earth being our playground, a playground, playground. for for this for this mm-hmm. child species to to learn in. Yeah, um, and a treasure trove of you know the treasures of diversity are just peppered right in front of us, and we just need to see them and value them to to get beyond that immaturity to get us to that future that he envisioned. And it's interesting because the uh, the Metrons felt the same way. Uh, so that's a, a thank you for great, saying that correctly. A great sir. coincidence. Thank you. Yeah, it's not Metrons; it's Metrons. You know, Metrons. Mm-hmm. it. Um, we have uh, just a little bit of time here left, Mike. If you'd like to ask one more question, I tell you what, you guys do a great job. I just want to leave you with my compliments. Uh, always something to think about. Always something to get me through my day. Thank you so much for what you do, and uh, looking forward to some more great content. All right, Mike. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. 
All right. So um, before we uh, wrap up the show, Trent, I'd like mm-hmm. to give you a little bit of time to talk about Pink is the new podcast. Ah. Yeah. So in recent years, so I blogged for 12 years and it was one of the greatest things that I ever got to do. I was my own boss. I, I was, it, I, I don't want this to sound like terrible, but like before they were influencers, bloggers were the influencers. And because I had a platform where I was able to comment on the things that I enjoyed, I was, you know, given access to, um, you know, early screenings of things and screeners and all of that. So, so that was one of the most fun things that I've ever done. And since I retired from blogging, I became a television producer, uh, which is very creative, but not necessarily, these are not my projects. Like I I wish I came up with the, the, the Brady renovation show and it would have been my baby, but it was just something that I worked on. So in the absence of not having that uh, creative outlet, I decided to start podcasting in recent years. And that's where I started Pink is New Podcast. Uh, And then last year in pandemic, I had a lot of time on my hands. And I started another podcast called Spooky Electric, which is just music based. So I make a playlist for every episode. And then I talk about whatever the theme is of that week's episode. So um, both of those are a little bit on a hiatus right now because obviously um, my heart and soul is devoted to quoting Gene Roddenberry right now. Um, but for sure, when uh, we have our hundred episodes in the can and they are out for everyone to listen to, I will be getting back to my love of pop culture and commenting on it uh, over on Pink is a New Podcast. Now, one last question I wanted to ask you, and uh, it's okay if you can't, um, you know, uh, instant recall, you know, your answer, but has there been one or two quotes from Gene Roddenberry that really just stuck with you over the course of researching all of these quotes, whether it's the quote itself or somebody's appearance or the way that somebody presented it, you know, one of the celebrities, but I have to believe that there was something out there that was just absolutely inspirational right off the bat. I mean, they're all very, very inspirational. They're all really, really great. Um, When I think about my favorite guests who read quotes, um, I mean, we've had some fabulous guests like Gloria Gaynor, for example, but Robert Picardo, Anson Mont, they were great. Uh, Jonathan Frakes, uh, uh, George Takei, like just having them you know, read for us was was really special. Um, But the quote that I think... um, stuck with me the most. And I I pulled it up. Uh, LeVar Burton read it. uh, And it was about Jean's love of the library. Uh, And Jean's quote is, the library was a way of educating a child and teaching them imagination and reading. And so we went to the local library on the streetcar about every Friday night. And we took a full load of books and came home. And I used to love to curl up with a book. Now this is Jean talking about his childhood. And like, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, like Gene is such a larger than life character. Like we, we think of him as um, this, this great visionary who created this, this wonderful story that has endured for 55 years and will continue to endure. Uh, but this quote of his where he talked about just, you know, hopping on a streetcar with his family, coming home with an armload of books from the library. That's something that's available to pretty much anyone. Um, you know, obviously, we have a lot easier access to information online. Um, but um, his love of books and, and, and the quote that really just uh, 
gives this wonderful image in your mind of, of a young Gene Roddenberry filling his arms with books and filling his heart and soul with these stories that, you know, triggered his imagination and, and, and fed his ability to create stories and books for other people to read. Uh, and, and that's just one of my favorites. And again, like, and these are what the quotes, the, the quotes that we discuss really talk about, you know, you could get Star Trek out of that quote, but not really. It's not about Star Trek. It's about a, a, a man remembering his his love of books as a child. And, and, and when you hear that quote now in retrospect, seeing who that man grew up to be and what he gave to the world, um, there's a special poignance about uh that, that, that you, you learn something new, or at least I learned something new about this man who I thought of so large as being so much larger than life. And he really was just, you know, a little kid who loved to read. And obviously LeVar was mm-hmm. sort the perfect of, person to he read. He was that sort quote. of like the obvious choice, but yeah. also like that's genius that he was the one that did it. I really loved all of the quotes that have been read by, like, no offense to everybody else, but the quotes that have been read by, um, folks who actually knew Gene, um, mm-hmm. for me are a little bit more impactful. So yeah, LeVar's was great. Genius, yeah. really yeah. great matchup. Well, uh, Trent, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here on mission log live. And, uh, we are, we're so grateful for your time and, uh, and your, uh, your reflection on quoting Gene Roddenberry and, I'd just love to uh, have you take a few moments here to tell everyone where they can find this show and how they can find you and follow you and your new projects on social media. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, Being associated in any way with anything Star Trek related is truly one of the greatest things I've been able to be a part of. And uh, I loved interacting with uh, you, Norman, and John when you co-hosted with us. And and I'm very grateful that you had me on on your show. So thank you for that. Um, Quoting Gene Roddenberry can be found on all of the podcasting platforms. Uh, so it's pretty easy to find. And I'm pretty easy to find too. Uh, my username everywhere is at Trent Venegas. So if you could find me on Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, all my playlists are there. And uh, uh, that's where I will be talking about whatever I'm working on, if anyone has any interest in following along. And how many shows are, are out there produced and published and released so that people can catch up on the show um, as they work their way to uh, episode 100, which is going to be what next week? Yeah. So episode 100 will air on August 19th. Mm-hmm. I believe the episode number we're up to, we're in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And so we still have uh, a couple more weeks to go. So there's plenty of time to catch up. And what's also wonderful about uh, this podcast is when it's done, it's not done. It's not going anywhere. All these quotes are very evergreen. And these conversations are ones that you can listen to in order, out of order. You can come back to them. Um, they're, they're, they're there for anyone to listen to anytime they want. Fantastic. Yeah, Thank I you think so you guys much. Are on, I think you guys are on 83 if I did the math right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and Holly, Holly, also always a pleasure. Always a pleasure seeing you and having you on the show. Your energy is amazing. And uh, your trivia, your spot on knowledge trivia and instant recall is superb. 
just it's just a lot of useless information floating around up here, but I'm glad that I have an outlet to use it. So thank you for having me. And and where can our listeners find you if they want to follow you on social media? I am at Holly Amos 22, shockingly, um, <laughs> on Twitter and the Instagrams. And yeah, that's my username on Facebook too. All right, folks. Well, um, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live uh, done by the incredible Earl Green. I was waiting for John to throw me a curveball, some type of SAT word, but he he kept it simple for me. I still love that line. (laughs) Uh, Be sure to visit uh, podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcast. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later. Stay safe. Okay, stay safe, stay healthy. And we look forward to seeing you next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.